Hi, I'm Johanna Ferreira, content director of Pop Sugar Juntos. Juntos is all about celebrating Latin A culture, pride, our many intersectional identities, and joy. Thanks to support from Prime, there's so much to get into over at Juntos this month. From conversations with the Latin A minds behind our favorite new movies and resurrected TV shows, to thoughtful celebrity commentary and exclusive interviews with some of the biggest Latin music artists today. And it doesn't stop there. Get more of the music, movies, and shopping you love on Prime. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more of whatever you're into from streaming to shopping. And get all of our latest coverage at PopSugar.com slash Juntos. Con amor, Johanna. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hello, and welcome to Good One, a podcast about jokes. I'm your host, Jesse David Fox. Usually, each episode, a guest comes on to play a clip of one of their jokes and then discusses how they wrote it and how it represents what they're trying to do with their comedy. This episode uh, is not that. Uh, The guest this episode is my vulture colleague, Catherine Van Arendonk, and the subject is, quote-unquote, women in comedy. Uh, To be clear, we are not discussing women being comedians, which does not need to be discussed um, because they just are, and it's, like... (laughs) unremarkable um but the idea of women in comedy and and media's focus on it the conversation started between Catherine vulture's comedy editor meg wright and i after the announcement of hysterical a documentary about you guessed it women in comedy premiering on fx on april 2nd Catherine has complicated feelings about it and, and since it doesn't feel like this narrative is going anywhere i thought it might be an interesting change of pace to hash it out also, I, I just miss talking to my colleague, friend, Catherine, as she is so smart and interesting. Uh, if you enjoy hearing Catherine and I yammer on about comedy, you're in luck. Um, as starting this month, Catherine will be joining my Patreon podcast, The Specials, as our new co-host, which is uh, exciting for me and you, if you decide to subscribe. So here is Catherine Van Arendong. I am here with Catherine Van Arendonk. Thank you for joining me. Thanks so much for having me. April Fools, we're talking about women in comedy. Ha <laughs> It's a joke. I want to talk about women in comedy in quotes, like it as an idea that gets talked about as a whole. I don't really feel the need to talk about women in comedy in uh, actuality because I, I don't think it's like a remarkable, weird thing that deserves us to discuss it. Um would you say that's fair? <laughs> yes. I mean, I think what we want to talk about in this episode is not the idea of women in comedy as some special deserving class that mm. requires distinct attention because otherwise we will all overlook the fact that there are women in comedy. Um, I think – what I I assume we are not the only people to have noticed that there are lots of women doing comedy, but also that there is still a tendency to identify women doing comedy as some unusual, strange phenomenon that requires a lot of particular focus separate from the rest of the comedy world and that's a phenomenon the like let's let's talk about the funny ladies Mm -hmm. is something that i feel really mixed about it's really not a like we can't do this we shouldn't do this anymore and it's definitely not a rah-rah badass lady comics thing either i still i feel very 
conflicted about it as a kind of project. So I expect to tell you all about those conflicted feelings for the next hour. The peg for this is uh, about to come out on FX is a documentary called Hysterical. Um, it, it, it then will be out on Hulu. And um, at first I thought this was an adaptation of a book of the same name, uh, but it is not. It is it, a book and this documentary both independently thought that what should we call our women in comedy project hysterical um so i think let's just start with with that i want to bro- talk more broadly later but first what did you think of the documentary and can you talk about what it was like and sort of what is this documentary right it is a feature length documentary i'm pretty sure i've double checked a couple times and it's very confusing because fx currently says that it has episodes but there's no episodes that i can see Mm -hmm. there's just one and so it's a feature length documentary it's by a filmmaker named andrea nevins who has done other documentary work uh and sort of feminist leaning documentary work there was a big um, movie that she did on barbie and it is a look at what it is like to be a woman who does comedy right now Mm -hmm. and a little bit also the sort of history of women who have had to deal with how tough it is to be a woman stand-up over the last couple decades. So, it, you know, if you've seen literally any documentary before, there will be a lot of familiar formatting in here. There are is a combination of talking head interviews where she talks to several major comedians. There are clips of old sets and current sets. Um, there is – she structures it a little bit like um, uh, thematically by issue. So mm-hmm. – she asks people about their childhoods and then you get a bunch of different perspectives on like what childhood was like. Uh, She asks people about sort of comedian terminology. It's very general, but it's, um, you know, like what's it, what's it like to be on the road? What's it like to be, uh, you know, what are the very, what she doesn't really get a lot into it, but you know, what a room is like. Yeah. Um, And I should say they, harassment. They're introduced by having a sort of pseudo-dictionary definition of the thing. Yes. That is the sort of framing device of this is a new segment. We're going to talk about audiences. And then it's like an audience is a room of strangers who laugh at jokes or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Yes. Um, And so the sections are framed in ways that lead the viewer through a very explicit idea of like what the big issues are if you're a lady. Mm -hmm. And one of them is like body issues. One of them is sexual harassment. Uh, And none of them are like, like being a woman of color, although that does come up. She speaks to one of the talking heads is Sherry Shepard. Another one is Marina Franklin. And they both are sort of, brought in to add that element of it but it is telling to me that that's not one that is like pulled out as a special Mm -hmm. special section in the feature um i my my feeling watching the documentary was a combination of longing and frustration Mm -hmm. i think the longing side of it is that i i being the person that I am, I love archival stuff. I love historical stuff. I love really specific deep dives that I have mm-hmm. not seen before. And there are snippets. There are always fascinating snippets. You know, I I also went and watched uh, the CNN, the ep- one episode of the CNN that's called The Funnier Sex, because that's the one episode that the ladies get. Yes. And um, that has a lot of archival footage of talk shows and of really early sets. And there is some of that in here, too. And every time you see one of those, you just want so much more of whatever that one little tiny thing is. But my overwhelming frustration with this particular documentary was the way that the framing, which is to say, like, here's this issue and then this issue and then this issue – 
led to a real flattening of mm. every individual that the filmmaker was portraying. It was, here are the collective issues of what women have when they try to do comedy. Here you can see them all speaking to it. Yes, they will say slightly different things, but they're all grouped in the same category. And so you really are not given any space to appreciate the fact that they're people instead of examples of this phenomenon. Yeah, I, I think, you know, some of the, the people on the show and who were past guests of this podcast, Fortune Feimsters on the, on the, in the documentary, Nikki Glaser, Margaret Cho, um, it's also has Kathy Griffin, Rachel Feinstein, um, Lisa Lampanelli, Marina Franklin. And it does that, it does the thing that a lot of coverage of comedy made for seemingly non-comedy audiences does, which is sort of like, this is the experience of comedy and this is what a comedian does. Um, and it discredits a lot of these people who are distinct artists who arguably have completely different perspectives on what comedy is. Um, or even like there's moments where it does that thing, which is like everyone becomes a comedian because they are, were sad as kids, right? Yeah. That's sort of like, and it, it is just perpetuating a sort of narrative that is easy because that's like the thing we've all agreed upon. And it has this thing where, at first, Nikki Glaser says, like, I had a happy childhood. I really like my parents. And, like, and that's what she said when sort of clearly was asked the question about this. And then they sort of go to other people and be like, my childhood was bad. And then they sort of have archival. They have, like, Nikki Glaser talking in different interviews about when she was a kid. Oh, well, her sister was really pretty and that hurt her feelings. But that was, like, in a different interview. So, like, you're essentially then not taking Nikki's word for, like, actually what influenced her. Instead being like, well, this fits into the story we want to tell, which is all these women became comedians because they were not attractive as kids. This is sort of... <laughs> and I was like, it is insulting in terms of a narrative about how comedy works. And it's, like, obviously incredibly patronizing uh, for the context of it. Yeah. And it's the thing that, you know, with this show and in terms of, like, what I want from comedy coverage in general but like with this podcast in particular regardless of gender um, my favorite thing is that someone will say something in an episode being like this is what comedy is about you have to do a joke that's like this and blah blah, blah. and this is the, what's great about comedians is they all think they are the best <laughs> at comedy yeah and then and then the next episode someone will say the exact opposite thing and and that's it. I, you know, I try to leave it as is because, like, that's their perspective. And when you see as a whole, you're like, oh, there's nine zillion ways of doing this. And there's something about, one, in general, to convey comedy to be that way. But there's another thing to to take these women and be like, this is, it is woman comedy. This is what it is. This is what it's like. And I did think it was telling, you know, like, who knows how they pick people there's no real reason why they picked the people other than like these are the people we were able to get yeah. um it felt you know the the cnn documentary that you that you talk about is clear like a mix of like these are a lot of the most famous yeah people mixed with we got everybody and these are the best quotes we got um mixed with certain historians and and, and stuff like that where this felt a bit arbitrary because there was no thematic or no la or no range that they're seemingly go for like they're all stand-up comedians that mostly play clubs yeah. and uh as we've talked about i am maybe the last person alive who cares about the divide of alternative comedy and and <laughs> and club comedy but it it does even flatten the type of experiences people have and the type of rooms people were able to create and to to address these specific issues like in, in and multiple like both Kathy Griffin and Margaret Cho specifically came up in a time of comedy in the 90s where they were part of in LA creating alternative rooms which either explicitly were meant to sort of re um reprioritize or or and we're not meant to like we're making female spaces they were meant to be safe spaces like I don't know if they use that terminology then, but like um, Beth Lapidus, who created this this comedy show called Uncabaret, which was it was not about only women, but it was about she, she creating a safe space where women would feel comfortable. And as a result, 
that has influenced comedy ever since. And that that narrative is not included because that is more complicated. You'd have to sort of explain alternative comedy. Yeah. And you'd have to tell people that these people's art is remarkably different. Yes. Like, and it is not interested in women's comedy. <laughs> it's true. Or the comedy of women. It is like only interested in their plight and sort of transcendence out of plight. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah. And the, and you can see it in the clips that they chose of everyone's acts because they only, the, the documentary really only time after time is just clip after clip of a comedian happening to be like, and my vagina said, you know, just over and over and over. And I, I know that, that, that these people did not get up and do half an hour of of vag mm-hmm. jokes like some of them did, but that you would limit, you know, every single display of like what kind of work they do to the fact that they are women is just as limiting as the process as the like, here's our one lady comedian. She's going to be a lady for you right now. Um, it's very, so that, that I found very frustrating. I think one of the other things, you know, as you're describing the, the gap of history about alternative rooms and, um, what it was like, say, sort of totally flattens the difference between say the eighties and the nineties and the early two thousands. It's just like, it was bad and now it's getting better. One of the other ways that that manifests is in the the general blank space where any kind of discussion of gatekeeping is, mm. who books, how stuff gets booked, uh, what it is like to try to, you know, get into all of these different places around. They talk and it's and it's fascinating because there is actually a lengthy section on stage time and like mm. how hard it is to get on a stage when you are a woman. There is less time given to the difference between being a woman of color and a white woman when you're trying to get on a stage. But there it is spoken about in the documentary, in such general terms, as though there is a wall and you're just walking up to this wall and, like, if you have the right shaped body, Mm -hmm. you get to walk through and if you don't, it's harder. And although that's sort of a fun metaphor, it's not what was, it's not the reality of what was happening, which was that there were individuals who were making choices and it would be really interesting to talk about those individuals or maybe a particular club. And time and again... The documentary chooses vague generality over more complicated specificity. And that is the dominant experience of watching this for me. Yeah. I mean, there's this moment where Rosebud Baker gets off stage and she's sort of feeling not sure about her set. And then Judy Gold talks to her and being like, and it it was a thing of like, well, th- they know they're being filmed for this documentary, but yeah. even so, I was like, this feels like a conversation, even if they're pretending to have this conversation, <laughs> clearly, it feels the information was useful for each other. Yeah. And I did find that more effective than talking about it. The similar was anytime there was a, they had women, multiple women in a table, and then there was men there. I was like, this is really interesting. Like, regardless of what they talked about, you you seeing them in these spaces and how they have to navigate it is much better seen than how they were telling it. Not and there's no way problem with necessarily how they told it. It just sort of is one sort of less compelling, and and also um, by seeing them in the space, you you allow them to be people in a way that just hearing yeah. them talk about it. Because I do think. When you're asking people to talk broadly about a thing, then they're specifically not talking about their experience, and you're losing that. And I do think, not to get too much into it, but there's parts where, you know, they talk about um, being around certain figures and this sort of literal lack of safety of it, where it's like you'll be in hotel rooms and 
feel like there's you could be followed by someone from the club. Like there's there's a, a one of the interesting examples I think is Rachel Feinstein Feinstein is talking to Sam Morell about a hotel I think that they stayed at and Sam was like, "Oh, it's great." Right? And then like Rachel's and Marina like Marina Franklin. Yeah, and Marina, Marina Franklin. Yeah. Yeah, and she's like literally a creep could come like the the idea how two people would see the same space and how a guy would see a place as safe and comfortable and how these two women saw the space that was really interesting because fascinating (laughs) yeah yeah but that was not and it had it so like to the credit of the documentary there are those moments but that same fascinating insight is something that the documentary doesn't seem interested on in lingering on and it doesn't seem to pervade the overall design of the show and there is this unfortunate and frustrating inability to see detail Mm -hmm. and it shows up i mean we've sort of been talking about it as like this would be a great detail that would be i would love to see more of but they don't really get into the detail of the sets you know for anybody watching this there is a section and i won't get specific but there's a section where they run through a bunch of headlines of accusers and one of the people featured in that headline shows up just talking to people in the documentary and it's not mentioned and you wonder if they noticed it or if they wondered what to do with it but they don't they just sort of or if i'm not supposed to notice it or if i was supposed to notice it and be like wait a second yeah yeah and that lack of attention to the overall you know how how much harder it is to say anything spe- like general about it because every time you get into a detail, it's going to create nuance. Is really frustrating for me. Yeah. So I want to talk about it in the context of um, this is a part of a sort of tradition of how the history of comedy is told, both looking back and at the time. So. So this is um, this is not the first women in comedy documentary of the last. It's not. It's like the f- there's been maybe a f- four or five of, in the last five years. Um, there's uh, women aren't funny, which was a documentary made directed by Bonnie McFarland, who was also speaks in this documentary. Um, there's the CNN thing. There was a PBS women in comedy documentary. Um, there's also a variety of books. Um, we Killed, which is a sort of oral history of women in comedy. Um, Hysterical, which is an academic sort of collection of essays about women in comedy. There's uh, there's there's a variety. There's also tons of sort of academic coverage. Um, and it's partly because essentially there, as comedy is covered, there's sort of four ways, like as a sort of canonization or historically, which is... There's sort of like the stand-up narrative that is almost exclusively men, and then there's sort of women dotted throughout it. Um, There is the history of Jewish comedy. There's a lot of books about that. There's or papers and blah, blah, blah. There's sort of a history of black comedy that there's a variety of books and papers on. And then there's a history of women in comedy. So And they are all sort of separated out. And often they then do not, all those stories do not, get told as the context of the main history they are um effectively ghettoized as sort of a different history and um how do you feel about that where do you think that tendency comes from this is where i get i feel very conflicted about this as a type of project i mean i think it's pretty clear that neither of us find it an impressive example of this type of project but i do think there's a bigger and less easy question about whether women in comedy as a kind of project is a valid Mm -hmm. valuable way to frame any of this and uh i come at it from uh, academia because that's sort of the institution that i have spent a lot of time in and know generally what what the institutionalized histories end up looking like. And it reminds me of the way that big departments, like say an English department, is say going to look at their 
curriculum is going to look at their professors, is going to look at their students and be like, wow, we don't have any coverage of, say, uh, the Afro-Caribbean traditions. And so they're going to hire one person who is going to be that one professor who will only teach about that one thing. And then the students who go to those classes will know exactly what they're getting and it will stay as this completely separate as you said, ghettoized experience of like what the rest of literature is. And the downside of that, I think, is pretty clear, which is that you are saying there's the real thing and then there's this other thing that is not as real or is separate and is not worth considering as part of – it is a marginalized narrative. You're saying there's the main narrative and there's this mm-hmm. other one. And as soon as you frame it that way, that's how it gets treated. That's how the money works. I mean, a lot of this is institutionalized, right? So as soon as you have um, funding for like one small thing, it sort of stays that one small thing. And there's no reason to make it part of what the bigger narrative is. But there is a positive to that kind of choice as well. Because for the for most institutions, if you didn't hire your one Afro-Caribbean professor, there wouldn't be any. Mm-hmm. And like this is the way that most and, – and journalism often works the same way. Documentaries often work the same way. This is the way you get your project made. It's the angle. It's the – it is the – organizing choice. And you and I have both written lots of lists in our lives. We both know that lists are useful services for readers, that lists are sort of fascinating intellectual exercises for the writers, and that lists ghetto-wise the things that you are calling that one topic of the list. If I'm making a a list of women comedians, I'm saying like, there's it's a separate list than the main comedians but that this is the way that people find stuff this is the way that histories that are often lost get remembered i think that's very clear actually in the cnn documentary which i also think has a lot of flaws but which spends a lot more time carefully walking through a series of short histories of individual people and saying like, I bet you didn't know her, but here she is and she was important. And I bet you didn't know her and here she is and here she she was important. And that ghettoization can also be called the thing that you already said, which is like a safe space for this one mm. conversation to happen. You, the, the reality is that I would love if this was part of a mainstream narrative of what comedy history is but the we create safe spaces and separate spaces because they wouldn't be there otherwise they would they would they would not even make it onto the lists because sometimes the list has to write back against what the main narrative was so that's a sort of broad overview of my very conflicted feelings about this the the hard thing is histories are written often based on the how history was written at the time it existed right so it's like and this is across all art forms um but like the history of comedy you're going to base it on variety articles at the time or whatever is getting the most attention and and so then you tell the narrative that was at the time being shaped by a male perspective and then if you are also male you might not notice that like oh i'm just sort of like continuing the existence at this is the the portrayal of the story as is i you know for vulture a couple years ago i did two lists um the 100 jokes that shape modern comedy and then 100 more jokes that shape modern comedy and and part of the goal of that was like we can tell the story we can tell a history however it is there is not one history right i think there are certain sort of people who view history who more are are more likely to come from a sort of dominant point of view that have been raised in a dominant point of view that they're like well i this is the one history and they have no reason to sort of question that um they did not read a people's history in college like the rest (laughs) dude that just was like maybe it's not so it's like that's the history this is the one this person was more important than this person because more people you just decide importance based on a certain value system 
Right. And you continue that narrative. And when I did those lists of 100 jokes, I demanded we didn't do that. Like, obviously, the list, you know, not up. The list, both lists were more male dominated. But also, if you look through time, as you know, as we told the history, it became that split changed. And I think that's important. Like, I do think it's you can't just like put rewrite a book and put women's names in every chapter because that would ignore that there was biases at the time. So you show progress. The thing that the 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 version of this that I've liked the best or found most useful in sort of my pursuits is We Killed, which is the oral history of women in comedy broadly. But what it really succeeds at doing, it's it just sort of retells time periods. And there are men interviewed throughout the book. You know, it's not just like here, which this movie does not do. It does not have, <laughs> does not ask a man. It doesn't force a man to be like, why did you do this sexist thing? Like sort of that is not part of it. It is just, it is, here's the different time periods in the history of comedy starting from um, the beginning and then like the 50s and the 60s and the 70s and 80s and 90s, whatever. And then, and all it does is just sort of like, what if we told it from the perspective where not ignoring that women were not dominant but like just possibly just having that perspective on it and and the the most telling is um as they tell sort of the history of alternative comedy which was so female-led you don't read that and be like well this is the history of women in alternative comedy if you read that, it, like to me, it is the definitive history of alternative comedy, or at least alternative comedy in LA. Like, I don't think of it as that. It doesn't read like that. It is just recentering the conversation or recalibrating the conversation. Yeah. And I think too often, um, when you do this type of thing, um, it it has a sort of binders full of women phenomenon as as which is just sort of like, we got these women and here they are. And there's a value to it because like if with that, with no binders of women, then it's like you, you're without, but there is a feeling of, you know, wanting the story to be told better. I mean, like the, there are documentaries specifically about specific women that are talked about in this documentary. The other one, like there's a Jones river, there's a Joan rivers documentary, which is, you know, of the gold standards of what a comedy documentary is. There's a Mom's Mabley documentary that's fantastic. Um, and I would just want just so many more of those because I do think they they have specific stories to be told. Um, and if you're going to do a thing like this that's about women in general, and I do think there's some value because, like, women are influenced by other women comedians. Like, they you know, almost all of them will be like, I saw a woman comedian and I was like, oh, I could be a comedian. So yeah. as a result, like it understands why you would separate the story. But, and that this is the line we keep on getting to, which is like, it's good to tell the story, but then you sort of treat it as a sort of other thing and you other it in, to a point that, I don't know what that is. That, like, what is that feeling of like, well, it's good to tell this story and it's, you would ideally play better and but there's a value of doing this. It's the same thing like list, right? It's the list you go, here are the top ten women comedians in New York right now. And in some ways it'd be feel better to our ears. It's like here's a list of ten comedians to know. Yeah. However, we both know that you do women because people probably Google what are the ten women comedians. Yeah, hundred percent. We'll be right back with more Catherine Van Arendong. Fox Creative. This is advertiser content from 26.2 Team Milk and their new docu-series, Running Sucks. Is running the worst? Yeah. Do you love it? Do you hate it? I hate it so much. <laughs> I hate it so freaking much. That you're a real runner now! I hate it. <laughs> I'm Abby Ayers, a 37-year-old mom from Utah who found herself running across the Manhattan Bridge in my first race ever. Running Sucks celebrates women who run and the running communities that carry them across the finish line. Running helped me in so many ways postpartum. It really is about taking my power back and proving myself wrong. 
for every person like you, I'm telling you you belong, and I'm telling you you can do it. I never thought the words would leave my mouth, but yes, I'm planning on running a marathon. (laughs) I can't even say it without laughing, because, like, who would have thought? Watch Running Sucks at runningsuckstheseries.com and learn more about how Team Milk is helping women runners across the country conquer their next course. Last week, Kanye West accused one of the biggest Twitch streamers of being an industry plant. It's an idea that comes up so often on platforms like TikTok and elsewhere. You see people who have blown up seemingly overnight, and the question is, who's behind them, right? That's what everyone wants to know. Tipping the scales and pulling the lever to make them seemingly the next it thing on the internet. This week on Power User, is it even possible to create an industry plant on the internet? And if so, how? We're back with Catherine Van Aerdonk. I think one thing that we're also bumping up against in the case of this particular project and the problem of like bigger projects is that the history of <laughs> is that it treats the history of women comedians as like the key marginalized community mm-hmm. that is worth focusing on. And Every one of like in the CNN one in this one, you know, every time you see like lists of of women comedians, I think that there is this increasing awareness of like, oh, what if there are other frontiers of marginalization that eventually Mm -hmm. we're going to see this this documentary has a real hard time trying to shoehorn women of color and that experience into a broader more intersectional female uh, narrative because it's a tricky one to just shoehorn in there and pretend that they're all part of the same thing. Um, It does not have any, it doesn't mention like trans comedians at all, that idea of femininity. And in in general, watching it, it gets a very sort of (laughs) biological centric uh, idea of what femininity is, which is Mm -hmm. its own problem. But the thing that you were pointing out about the you know <laughs> the you other it and then and then what do you do and the angle of it and recentering right the the idea of a totally recentered narrative i don't think it's i i still think it's possible to write like i mean we killed is a history of women in comedy like it is this kind of project and you can give it that kind of angle because you have to to market it, yeah. But actually, create the project in a way that is more thorough, is more uh, open to creating lots of voices at the same time, rather than saying there's one kind of voice and there's all these different examples of it. Um, yeah. So I'm not I'm not willing to just chuck all women into comedy projects forever. Yeah. You know what I do feel like there is that sort of how these things are marketed and what they're trying to do, which is like women, it is presupposing that like, we need comedy for women and that comedy is women. Like, (laughs) yeah, it's like, there are these women. So, and I guess they need to be entertained too, because you know, they have jobs now. So they have, they have disposable income. Yeah. So like, what would they like? Oh, I know the, I'm going to define them by their gender. So as a result, let's provide them that gender of content. And it does feel th- and that is the part that feels condescending about it, which is like it 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 you you are inherently reading all these things shallow shallowly and it becomes increasingly frustrating as comedy made by women becomes increasingly diversified both in terms of content but in terms of demographic like yeah so when each time we see it and we see it as much as we always do it feels each time feels worse because it's like we're still doing it and i and this builds off sort of a, a the bigger thing um is like the question which is sort of what's it like to be a woman in comedy right that is like the there are versions of that question, but that is the question. And why a lot of comedians 
female comedians seemingly have a hard time with a lot of this as well is because where we get to live our nice lives of journalists that do a lot of different things and periodically we see a list that says like women in comedy or whatever the life of a female comedian which this documentary doesn't get into because it would essentially be shooting on this documentary is like every interview they do someone goes what's it like to be a woman in comedy yeah and and they're and they're different versions of it right so there is a moment there's a moment in this documentary where uh the film you can hear off screen the filmmaker say basically some version of that question and eliza schlesinger says i thought we weren't gonna talk about that and it is this moment where the clip just jumps out from the documentary and is like what are we all doing here and then the documentary just shoves it back down (laughs) yeah because they it was that is the issue of like are women funny which was another version of the yeah what's it like to be a woman comedian right because i do think there for for a long time when it was just like totally okay to be fully sexist on television if there was a woman comedian they would be on and the question would be like are women even are women even funny isn't being isn't comedy a thing men do like and and so that's what like Joan Rivers had to answer all the time and then like i guess in in some bleary-eyed attempt to be like whatever the past version of woke was where you're like oh, I'm going to sort of play the part of caring what this person's experience is like. Yeah. I'm going to be like, what's it like to be a woman in comedy? Because I understand there are differences and I want to hear what that's like. But ultimately, that then became bastardized by like morning radio, which is just like tr- really acting it in a like, you're a woman in comedy, isn't that weird? Right? Yeah. So then more recently these now contemporary version of like we're trying to ask we're going to ask the same exact question but we're going to ask it in a contemporary version of trying to seem woke which is like you know what's it like being a woman in comedy when there's like sexual assault happening all over the place right or like instead of asking them what's it like to be a woman in comedy you ask every single woman in comedy no matter what they're promoting even if they don't talk about this stuff at all even if they're just sort of like playing the second lead in a sitcom or the, the zany roommate or whatever they're like, well, what about Louis C.K.? Yeah. And and now that question is not a question about what's it like to be a woman in comedy. But it but it, beca- it is when you <laughs> never ask a man, hey, how about this Louis C.K. guy? Yeah. 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 And the documentary and like the answer, anyone asking that question also is not really interested in the ramifications of the answer right no one is going to get the answer to that question in this documentary which does it's like a significant section on harassment is not actually then going the next level which is like okay but then that means there have been generations of comedians who have been left out because they they had to leave because they couldn't because it just like Mm -hmm. was too soul crushing or you know you're not then trying to go back and like find all of the people who who were crushed by this whose names we don't know you're you're not actually interested in how hard it still is part of what this documentary and most of that question is like what about Louis CK is we already got rid of him so now I can ask you about Louis CK mm-hmm. it's not like who are all the other guys who are Louis CK who we don't know about yet so that question is inherently progressivist right it's saying like and now it's better and that do- the documentary is doing the exact same thing which is and now it's it's better now and it is a little bit wild watching the end of this thing you know they they play Kelly Bachman's Harvey Weinstein set which feels extremely discordant, you know, within this raw, raw sisterhood context mm-hmm. of the rest of the of the feature. But it is just wild watching this 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 sisterhood embrace that they really push on the last several minutes of this thing, and then look at, say, reporting that's come out quite recently about like, QAnon and the connection to stand-up clubs and like knowing what comedy podcasts are like and just the 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 total just we're just going to ignore everything that is actually still terrible here that is i think a women in comedy documentary almost always wants to push that like it's gotten better thing and not complicate it much at all which is another problem of the project yeah i mean i don't know how um that's the only way this thing was going to end. The only way this thing yeah. is going to get on television is like 
if like ultimately yeah, it's, it's a like, marketing pro- problem also yes yeah. for sure it's a sort of like because i don't know if this was made for tv it seemed like it it like screened in films festival so like i imagine if there, there was a for it sort of does both the sort of like trauma porn beginning of it and this sort of like pop feminism like we're this sort of like it does it to a point that's like cartoonish which is like women are doing better because of how rich amy schumer is <laughs> it's true that is sort of like and congrats to her by the way like a you know yeah and it's like that you're definitely not going to sort of get into that like it's not like tackling sort of like the value system of like how, you know why is it that Amy Schumer making more money is now means that like women are doing better. Like, why is that still a value system? We're defining things by. Right. And the hard thing is this. You go, well, it's not for me. This documentary is not made for me. Not because I'm a man, though, mm-hmm. maybe because I'm a man, but because I know all this stuff. Yeah. Not because, again, not that I know, like, I know in my bones, the like what it's like to be sexually harassed but like i know all these people's stories because i i follow comedy and yeah. i've heard the story that they're telling this sort of like what's it like to be on the road and how gross it is i've heard some of these people explicitly talk about this story before because i've prepared to interview some of them like literally yeah. i know all nikki glazer's stories for the most part because i've Research Nikki Glaser, same thing with Fortune Feimster. Right. And, well, I mean, the yeah. <laughs> this documentary plays the Margaret Sh- Margaret Cho. You know, I said I wanted to be a comedian, and my mom said, "Why not just be dead?" Like the other, the CNN women in comedian women in comedy plays the exact same like thing. You know, so yeah. if you watch enough of these, you you know the stories already. Yeah. Yeah, and and i it so you go like if you this is the first time you've ever watched a documentary about comedy this is number 1 you're a teenager who is i don't know just decided i want to start watching documentaries or maybe i like comedy i want to know and who knows like they watch one netflix special and it comes up the viewing habits of young people is great i mean like i guess it's a little bit more deliberate now because of streaming but yeah I assume it's partly just like it's on. They're watching like always sunny reruns and then they're like, next up this thing. You're like, "Eh." right. And then that person watches it. And I, 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 I don't think it, it's hard to know what that person's experience of it is. Like, hopefully this intrigues them to be like, oh, I guess I want to learn more about this. Yeah. Or or I yeah. don't know who these people are. Like, it does make you go, like, that feeling we have of, like, oh, I'd like a documentary about Marina Franklin's experience talking about yeah. being diagnosed with breast cancer. I mean, like, I literally go, like, oh, I need to remember to email Marina Franklin's publicist after I watched this. Yeah. You know, like, I guess it's effective of, like, for that. And also, like, imagine you are, like, a young teenage woman who like wants to be a comedian and then you watch a documentary and it and has a happy ending you may feel inspired where if it has like an unrelentingly negative ending you'd be like oh maybe i shouldn't do this maybe this is a bad idea do you feel like do you feel like like what is the value of it like and and if this is not it or things like this again like the 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 things that make us feel sort of icky or the sort of when it feels like things are being ghettoized or separated out. Yeah. How do we do it right? Do you, do you have an assessment? Like, I mean, other than how you feel like, you you know, what is the way we should look at it? You know, like when we look at these projects, like what, how should we look at it? That's both critical of it, but also like trying to imagine what value they have and how should people aspire to do them? Yeah. Two things. One is that when you're watching a project like this, and it's, you know, this is, I think, applicable to all kinds of different documentaries, you know, long form writing, book projects, lists, anything where it's, you know, I have chosen a particular group of people and now I'm going to give you a represent- representation of that. 
Um, one thing that's always useful to try to think about is what is this list or project portraying as general that is actually very specific or vice versa? Mm. Like where is the missed connection or the the fuzziness happening there? Because I think this is a project that tends to take a lot of specific things and then say, no, it's a big general narrative and then clump them all together. So that is and that's a kind of fallacy. I mean, that look, I have written things quickly and regretted it later. And like, that's a fallacy we've all fallen into. So I am certainly not above doing exactly Mm -hmm. the same kind of thing. But when you have time and money and editors and people watching your stuff and you then become the viewer or reader consuming whatever it is, that is a really useful avenue to press on as far as what might be getting elided in a project like this. I think the other thing, if you find yourself in the position of you're maybe going to make something like this or do a, like, you know, some kind of history or a written project or whatever it is, or you're watching it, one really useful question to press on for a while and not let yourself have an easy off-the-cuff answer to is, why am I doing this? Why am I making this particular Mm. thing? Because I think watching this documentary, it seems like the answer for this particular one was, because I think women are funny or something like that. And I'm not saying that's a bad answer, but an answer that is as broad and sort of simple as that is then going to lead back to a fairly broad, simplistic Mm. viewpoint. And if instead the answer to like the Why We Killed book is because you see a very different understanding of what the history of comedy is if you recenter who the storytellers are you get a very different project that on the surface is like women in comedy still looks the same. Yeah. And so for people watching these or thinking about creating your own, really focusing – and the unfortunate also element of this that we is very hard to get around is why am I doing this is often got money stuff attached to it that you can't fix – or you want to wrestle with and you could just end up not doing it instead. And like that's its own calculus. But at least spending some time with the question can really change the deeper reading that happens in, a, in when you're watching, you know, a documentary or really anything. Yeah, I mean, it makes me think about the other side of it, which is um, when women are clumped at live shows right yeah so um and there's a variety of ways it happens there's sort of there are the like ladies night at a club right or there's a tv show that's called ladies night or ladies of the night um or it's sort of the pinnacle of it the original queens of comedy right and and the sort of most famous example was in um, the, the late 1970s as the comedy store was really pumping and really grooving, <laughs> using 70s language to describe it. Yeah. Mitzi, Mitzi, Shore, Mitzi Shore, who ran the club, ha- wanted to do something for women. So, and the women who, comedians who are, but felt she couldn't put them in the main room because of a hostile environment because they weren't quote unquote ready. It's complicated what that means, but. That's what she said. And then so she she created a room called the belly room that would only be for women, not necessarily only women audiences, but like only for women comedians primarily or for women book shows. And it was a really complicated thing that happened, which is sort of like Elaine Boozler is like, I'm never going to play that room. I'm a comedian who happens to be a woman. I'm not a woman comedian. And some women comedians we're like stage time. I need stage time, right? Yeah. Um, and as, and sort of there was no real intention to it, and there's sort of no care really put into it. Like it wasn't like this is anyone really thought of it. They were just sort of like, and it could be debated its value. But what what happened is, um, it 
And this is a story that's told in We Killed, which is sort of partly why I really like We Killed, which is like, because this space was, there were sort of no gatekeepers to it. It was sort of, women were allowed to sort of do whatever they wanted to it, because it was not bound by the expectations of the type of audience who would not like a woman comedian. There are a lot of really interesting comedy that got made there. Much more interesting comedy got made there than was made in the main rooms. And really um, structurally adventurous. You had Whoopi Goldberg came out of that. You know, she was doing her thing. But when she was in L.A., she would play there because she was allowed to do more time. She was allowed to do the type of character she does, which is definitely not a thing that's going to work for the worst types of audiences. And Sandra Bernhardt came out of there, who truly was doing something unlike um you know like jay leno yeah no offense to jay leno at that time like yeah. i think jay leno was just like the pinnacle of like what comedy was at the time <laughs> believe it or not and and in that you sort of see which is like it was created um be- for complicated intentions and somewhat condescending intentions which is sort of women are less than, so we should give them a space where they can maybe like get to a level of what a man is. But it sort of transformed into being like the a the value of an actually safe space. And not like the idea of safe spaces as like Ben Shapiro uses it, but like the idea of like what all art is looking for, which is yeah. like a a room to sort of express in in a way that you would want to to sort of actually assert your own value system and not have to fit into the mold of the room and that is because and that is the thing of like the artists the comedians who came out of it set that intention for it right it though it was created with sort of this other intention that we describe they were able to sort of recreate that intention so much so that sort of like when i again as i never shut up about alternative comedy like that was the same thing, which is sort of like it. All those rooms were sort of created now with the freedom to just be like, we want to be able to cr- create art in the pace that we want to, to an audience that is open to it, yeah. Um, who's looking for it, and not as just sort of. And that is so contrasted to when there are TV specials that were created for women. It was just like. It was just, as I said before, which is sort of like, oh, I guess we've heard that women like comedy. Let's just sort of like glom them all together. Right. Um, And that, I guess that is the lesson to sort of (laughs) learn, which is sort of like, you know, what are you doing to sort of exploit or commodify a demographic or, and what are you doing to like actually provide artists with an opportunity to showcase themselves either by a documentary that showcases their story or mm-hmm. by literally providing a platform to, that allows them to thrive yeah yeah 100 percent um it's it is just the most frustrating i keep saying frustrating but also i think part of my frustration is because of this sense of lost potential mm. right and it is not just that it's annoying to once again have, you know, the funnier sex come back, but that I do think there is really a – there is still a, a value. I, I, you know, was listening to you talk about the belly room and I was thinking about sort of the dreams of some type of like single sex education, right? Like girls get sent to girls, want to go to girls' schools – Sometimes because they have, for very complicated reasons, super complicated reasons, and then they get to come out lesbians because they finally had an opportunity where they, you know, they could, they were safe for that. And there is a way that, sadly, we are still in a place where, yeah, you need a safe place. You need that, that we have not grown out of the reason why you need a separate room and i well let me just say like all comedians need a safe space it's yes. just that non-modernized comedians their safe space is the sort of general existence like that if 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 x comedian who like wants to do like misogynist adjacent material or, or things only were allowed to play like 
really sensitive rooms that are mostly leaning to a female audience, they would be mad and want to create a room for themselves. I mean, you see it. Like, you see it with the sort of, like, more, like, conservative-adjacent comedians are, like, creating their own spaces. That is, like, a safe space because that's how they express their art. Like, it is a completely reasonable thing to need to do. Yeah. The, um... When you say, like, what gets lost, it's a bit of, like, the most basic is we return sort of the central question, which is, like, when you ask women what it's like to be a a woman comedian, what's it like to be a woman in comedy, what is lost is you then don't get to ask them a different question. Right. You were hypothetically at 15 minutes with a comedian, um, and you, you spend five of it asking a question that they get asked a million times. Yes. And, and... That adds up, like truly, let's say you can literally do the math. Like, let's say 10% of every interview a woman comedian does is spent having to answer this question. That is, that literally (laughs) puts them 10% behind in terms of communicating to an audience, like their actual point of view and their art. And that is like, and that's a story that doesn't get told. And I do think this documentary and the the tendency to do things like this, you know, like lots of people ask people this question. It's not just like men and women, etc. They ask women this question, and what you're doing is, um, you know, you don't let them not don't you 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 rob them of that ten percent where they could further communicate who they are as an individual, um, and and that. And that is always what it's it becomes a bummer to see when you can. Yeah. And that's what they and and com, look, they're especially stand up comedians. They are stand ups. They are they're by nature individualists. If they wanted to be glommed together as a group, they would be improv comedians or whatever. They'd be in and, writers' rooms. Yeah, yeah. I think there is. Um. And and that's why it's a bummer. Like you understand why that information. It, it's not uninteresting. Like, I, I do think the, the experience of what it's like to be a person is interesting. The experience of, like, um, but by asking people general questions, you're going to get answers that are not about them. And if you ask them, and if you get that asked that question over and over again, it's annoying. Just if you get asked any question, it's over and over again, it's annoying. You see yeah. it all the time. Like, yeah. celebrities, if they feel like they have to keep on talking about the same thing, they don't like it. No. Uh, it is um, junket phenomenon where yeah. it's a movie and the the actors are all there and a, a, like a parade of journalists come through the room and they ask over and over and over again, are you actually friends on set? Just every single time, are you actually friends behind the scenes? And it is when when this is the question, it's like your entire life is a junket and the yeah. movie is you, colon, a woman – and it's just hard to imagine a more frustrating and, – and I can completely understand why then even when, say, the the interviewer happens to be a person who actually wants to take this seriously and has mm-hmm. the best of intentions for, like, why they're asking the question, if you're on the other side of it, you're still sitting in the junket for the stupid movie that you're stuck in. Uh, and, you know, I, that has got to just be the, the worst feeling. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I think we'll leave it there. Thank you so much. Um, have a great April Fool's. Uh, thank you. I hope that you find all kinds of fish in places that they should not be. That's going to be very confusing for people. And also, like, <laughs> maybe it's too confusing for people. Like, wait, did they record it this morning? Uh, <laughs> Sorry. I, that, we'll, we'll, we'll leave it there. Thank you so much, Catherine. It's always a pleasure. Uh, thank you so much for having me uh, as a woman. You know, it's really great to be here in this in this marginalized space. That's it for another episode of Good One. Follow Catherine on Twitter at KVanAaron. Subscribe to The Specials at patreon.com slash the specials. Good One is produced by myself, Jelani Carter, Hannah Rosen, and Camila Salazar. 
God from Shigashin did our theme song. Write a review and rate the show on Apple Podcasts. Five stars, please. Email any comments, questions, or laughing around suggestions to goodonepodcast at gmail.com or tweet at us at goodonepodcast. I'm Jesse David Fox, and you can follow me at Jesse David Fox. Good One is a production of Vulture in the Box Media Podcast Network. We'll be back next Thursday with Jamie Lee. Have a good one. Why do you run? Why does anyone? I always thought that runners loved running. And that's not the case. Most runners hate running. (laughs) But they choose to do it. In the new docuseries Running Sucks, brought to you by Team Milk, Abby Ayers learns why women runners everywhere are driven to go the distance. It really is about taking my power back and proving myself wrong. Team Milk is about fueling women's performance and helping them along their marathon journeys. You can sign up now for the inaugural Every Woman's Marathon, taking place in Savannah, Georgia, on November 16, 2024. Learn more and register at everywomansmarathon.com.